when, when we do any purification practice, as I said to be four powers, four mental attitudes that we need to bring up in order for the practice to be very powerful. So the first one is called regret. Regret, meaning when we think about the bad stuff we did, we regret it. And we have a strong determination not to repeat it. Okay, so regret doesn't mean identifying with the action and thinking you're a bad person. Oh, I'm such a bad person. I told a lie. I'm such a bad person. No, no, no. It's like if you've uh, if you've eaten some food that is uh, tainted, and it's going to give you stomach ache and make you sick. What do you do? You take an antidote or you vomit it out. You do something practical, don't you, to get that poison out of your body. So any negative action we do, we say, oh, I told a lie. I mustn't do that. It's very wrong. I'm going to determine, purify, purify, purify. Make some purification. The effect of having done that negative action is neutralized. It's finished. It cannot give its result. Okay? Regret, really important. Regret, not, not, um, not guilt, not hanging on. Then a power of reliance, second power. This means, um, well, there are two, two objects or two beings towards whom we do negative stuff. One of the Buddhas, the enlightened beings, we can just throw bricks at them or whatever. And the other are sentient beings, living beings. So reliance means going for refuge to the holy beings and generating the mind of compassionate mind of bodhicitta with respect to all living beings. So we harm living beings, but then we realize we've harmed them. Now we generate compassion for their sake, wanting to liberate them from their suffering. So that's the power of the, you're relying on them. Yeah? So you create a bad action, now I'm relying on them to generate compassion, supposing that bad action. Third one is the power of the opponent force, which I've already told you, reciting mantras, prostrations, and so forth. And the fourth one is the power of the promise. Okay, so when you've, you've done all these things, you've gone, gone for refuge, you've generated compassion, you've engaged in some regret and some, um, what's the word, opponent force, then you think to yourself, I'm not going to tell lies anymore. Well, at least until tomorrow. Okay, so the way you promise is quite important. You've got to do it skillfully. If you know that you're a kleptomaniac, you know, you know full well that you can't avoid stealing, but you've now realized that stealing is bad for you, you must make a skillful promise. I'm not going to steal until lunchtime. I'm going to give myself 15 minutes without stealing. It sounds ridiculous, but keeping a promise like that is positive, and it helps gradually to wear down the tendency to steal. And we need this kind of thinking with all of our addictions, you know. You can't just cut yourself off from your addictions like that. It won't work. You go back to them straight away. So be very skillful with our promises, what kind of promise we make. Um, mm, addictions, promises. Oh yeah, there's just a funny story. Maybe some of you know the story of Million Ear. Mm. So here's a story from um, the Buddha's, Buddha's Sutras about a guy called Million Ear. He went to an island and... Uh, no, he, he didn't. Somebody went to this island and they, and they saw uh, a mansion up on the hill. 
And during the daytime, this mansion was filled with savage dogs. Um, there's a big furnace, big sort of fire going on. And the dogs were ravaging and savaging this guy, this guy on the floor, just lying there being bitten all day long. In the evening, when night fell, inside the mansion, the furnace died away and transformed into a very beautiful um, environment. And the dogs changed into, what do we call them? Beautiful goddesses. Beautiful goddesses who were delighting the man all night long, enjoying himself with these delicious ladies. And then in the morning, once the dawn rose again, everything changed and the dogs came back. So anyway, this visitor to the island didn't understand what was happening. He went to see Buddha and said, what's going on here? What have I seen? Hey, Buddha said, oh yeah, you've seen what we call a resembling hell. Resembling? What's that mean? A resembling hell. It's a hell on earth. Hell on earth? Does anyone ever use that expression anymore? I think we do, don't we? It was hell on earth. So in this case, um, let me try and remember. There's one of Buddha's disciples who met a butcher. In those days, butchers were butchers. They killed the animals, you know. And he tried to persuade this butcher to stop killing. He said, look, it's bad for you, you know, negative karma and so forth. And the guy said, well, I can't stop killing because I've got a family. You know, I need to support my family. I have to uh, kill. So uh, Buddha's disciples, Kachashyama, actually, he said, he said, can you stop killing during the night? And he said, oh, yeah, I can do that. When I'm not at work, I can stop killing. I make a promise, sincere promise, I will no longer kill during the night time. But during the daytime, can't help it, I've got to do it. So later on, when this person took rebirth, this butcher, this was the kind of experience that he had during the daytime, because that's when he did all his killing, he was experiencing this resembling hell, burning up and being savaged by the dogs. And in the nighttime, he was experiencing being pleasured by the dakinis, the beautiful ladies, and so forth, because he was keeping his vow of not killing. So you can think, well, that's a really quaint but stupid story. <laughs> If you want, you can think like that. But I'm going to get back at you right now. <laughs> if I can find it. No, I'm not going to find it. I'm going to find it. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. It's at the end of the chapter on karma, isn't it? Yeah. This is, so all these stories are coming from Buddha, you see. Now, Buddha's a, a, a person we can't imagine what Buddha's like in truth. We've all got our own ideas about what a Buddha's like, but we really can't. We've got no clue, really, about where his mind is. So at this stage, it's just a final, this is about our faith, really, in, in where these teachings are coming from. At this stage, we can only gain a general understanding of karma. We can't prove by reasoning exactly how each individual action produces its own effect. Only the Buddhas can see these relationships. Therefore, to practice moral discipline perfectly and engage in purification perfectly, we need to have faith in Buddha. If we understand the nature of Buddha, then we shall realize it's impossible for a Buddha to teach anything that's false. So to realize this, it's not just listening and accepting and realize, deeply contemplate, it's impossible, it's utterly just impossible for a Buddha to say anything that's false. It's said that Buddhas have no motivation to utter falsehoods because they have nothing to gain from them. 
In King of Concentration Sutra, it says, this famous quote, the moon and the stars may fall to earth. The earth with all its mountains and dwelling places may disappear and space itself may disappear, but it's impossible for Buddha to tell a lie. You think about that, yeah? It's impossible. The moon, the stars, everything disappears, the whole universe changing, changing, but it's utterly, utterly, utterly impossible for an enlightened being to tell lies. There's nothing that Buddhists could gain from deceiving anyone because they've accomplished everything for themselves. Their only wish is to benefit others, you know. If we understand about the nature of Buddha, all they teach is completely reliable and it can be accepted on faith whenever the weakness of our own reasoning lets us down. And let's face it, our reasoning is pretty weak, you know. Which is, you know, a good excuse for developing faith. My reasoning is weak. Buddha has no possible motivation for telling lies. So why has he taught all this complicated very long teaching about law of karma. Why? Because he wants to benefit me. How do I benefit by accepting the law of karma? Well, I stop doing all those actions that make me suffer and I purify all the ones I've already done that make me suffer. What's the result of that? I don't suffer. <laughs> I experience just bliss and happiness. So that's what Buddha is trying to do for me. So why should I disbelieve him?